I've talked to dozens of people. I applied for dozens of jobs. I mean, this one felt like the right fit, but I think so many things need to fall into place. You know, it's like, you need the right fit. You need someone who's willing to take a chance on someone with a different background. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Your story is interesting as it involves a lot of career transitions and I know a lot of professionals that are listening right now are listening because they feel stuck in their career and looking to make a change. And you have done this many times over as we talked offline before the recording. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your professional background, like a quick journey, so to speak, a quick roadmap in terms of like how you started and where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I did my undergrad in journalism, specifically broadcast journalism. But after I finished, I really wanted to travel and I had this opportunity to teach English in South Korea. So I decided to go for a year and I just really fell in love with it. I ended up staying there for almost six years. So by the time I came back, I felt like I needed to, and I wanted to come back and go into journalism, but I kind of felt like I'd been out of it for so long. So I actually went back to school and did my master's. And then from there, I started working in television. So I was a reporter, a news anchor, and I spent most of my career as a morning show host. And I did that for about six years as well. And then um, kind of was ready to do something different. And so then I transitioned into tech where I work as a solutions consultant, basically working with sales teams. I've worked at a couple of different tech companies now. And yeah, so that was kind of another transition. And that's where I'm at now. So going back to what you said about being a morning show host for six years, a lot of professionals are afraid of public speaking, but you had to do that every day in front of a camera for thousands watching at home. So like, how did you get over that fear of public speaking before you jumped into hosting your own show? You know what? I have to say that I always loved public speaking from a very young age. So I was in French immersion in elementary school. And every year we had these speech competitions where you had to do a speech in French. And I like I loved it. I looked forward to it every year. I did well. So I really liked the performance aspect of things. I often think my dad, he's retired now, but he was a United Church minister. And so I just grew up seeing him in front of a church and public speaking. And I think being part of a minister's family, you kind of end up in these positions a lot, right? Where you're meeting a lot of people, you're often talking in front of people. So I think I got comfortable with it from a young age. I think one of the hardest things when I actually started working in television, though, was you have to watch yourself back. And there's always something a little bit weird at first of just about seeing yourself on screen. And, you know, it's hard not to be super critical. And that's how you get better in some ways, too. But yeah, I think getting over the hump was a little bit easier for me because I kind of had grown up doing a lot of public speaking. Okay, so for someone who is, for example, like getting into the workforce or a new immigrant that where they might not be that adverse or that experienced in public speaking. What's some advice that you can provide in terms of making them better presenters? Because as you know, in corporate, you have to present a lot of presentations, whether it's your work or making proposals and all that. So for someone who doesn't have a lot of experience in public speaking, what is some of your recommendations to help them improve? 
Yeah. You know, I think that one of the things that I have found very helpful, especially when I first started in television, I really kept trying to like mimic other people, you know, like people that I admired, I want to try and be more like them. And, you know, it's great to pull in elements of other people's styles that you really like. But I think one of the things I realized was that what people connected with was me when I was really just being myself. So for me, like now I I do a ton of public speaking now I do keynotes, I love doing them. But I think what helps me to connect with people is to share stories of my own experience when I can. So even when I'm doing presentations in the corporate world, I try to incorporate storytelling into my presentations. And I find that that keeps them more interesting. And it also gives me something to focus on as I'm preparing. I think the other thing that helps is just practicing. You know, practicing in front of your family, in front of your friends, practicing, just record yourself, watch yourself back, like look at things that, or listen for words that maybe are your crutch words that you repeat over and over again. Those are things that I think can be really helpful as you're getting started. And as you said, so many people now have to do presentations on video, you know, virtually in job interviews. So I think just getting comfortable in that situation is really helpful. When you're a morning show host, I'm assuming newscasters, they have a teleprompter because there's like never any ums and ahs with them, right? So like, did you have a teleprompter when you did your show or was it a mix of both or there is some notes you practiced beforehand? Yeah. So I would typically do the newscast like at the top and bottom of the hour. And then, so that I had a teleprompter the whole time. I was basically reading off the teleprompter, you know, once in a while there was a little bit of ad-libbing, but then in the kind of in-between segments, there was a lot of ad-libbing and banter between the hosts and that we did not have a teleprompter for, or we'd have like the prompt or the question on the teleprompter, but then everything else was just us like pure ad living. And that took some getting used to because when I started off, everything I did was scripted. So one of the hardest things I found was just to be myself on camera, you know, really just to relax, to like try to channel that person that I was with my family and my closest friends and, and to bring that on camera when you have like three cameras pointing at you and bright lights (laughs) in your face, that part did take some getting used to. You made a good point when it comes to like public speaking or making presentations, as we discussed, there's an issue, even for interviews, like I work with clients that need interview help, they focus so much on the words, they sound robotic. So they're trying to stay on the script, so they don't show the personality, but you need to show the personality so they can connect with you. So what is your advice in terms of like, knowing your experience and showcasing it, but not focusing so much on saying the words that you forget about like conveying different emotions in the words that you're expressing? Yeah. You know what? I think this is a great place for storytelling to come in. I try to have stories that are like top of mind for me on the topics I think will come up in an interview. But I find really being able to paint that picture can be really helpful. I agree with you. I mean, I try not to memorize the words I'm going to use. I try to just remember the stories and then have them top of mind so I can tell them in a way that feels really authentic and natural and just like I would tell a friend. So in terms of like getting your start into show business, so to speak, uh, as a morning show host, how hard was the uh, application process, the vetting process to get to that position? 
Yeah, it was a process. So while I was doing my master's, I was in a smaller city in Eastern Canada called Halifax. And while I was there, I applied to a behind the scenes job at one of the local TV stations. And basically the main part of the job was rolling the teleprompter during the live shows. So I would be in the control room and I was operating the teleprompter for the host. I also printed their scripts and like ran their scripts to them. I was answering phones, kind of doing all that. So that job I got while I was still in school and I was there, I was there part-time. So that wasn't like super hard to get, but it was kind of getting from there to the on-camera job that took a lot of effort. So once I was working behind the scenes, I started coming in on my days off. I would ask the reporters, like, can I shadow you? And then I would write my own version of the story they were putting together so I could practice. I practiced doing like stand-ups where I was doing the kind of what the reporters would do on camera. And then I would send those to the producers and just ask them to give me feedback on my performance. So I did that quite a bit. So I was definitely putting in a lot of extra hours and effort, but it paid off because eventually they started to see that I was showing initiative, that I was very teachable. You know, I was listening to their feedback and that I clearly really wanted this. So eventually there was a reporter who was going on vacation. There was no one to fill in for them. So they gave me a chance. And basically it was like, you have five days, you get to fill in for this person, like show us what you have. So it was very sink or swim, but I did that. And then after that, I became a regular backup for some of the on-air reporters. So I did that for a while. I think about a year I was just filling in. And during that time, I started filling in for some of the weather people. And then eventually I started filling in for the morning show host. There were four morning show hosts and I filled in for the news anchor. So she did the news and then also like would co-host some of the other sort of lighter, more lifestyle segments. And then eventually she announced that she was moving onto another position. So I applied for her job and it was kind of a natural fit because I'd already been filling in for her. So start to finish though, I would say it was about a year and a half going from that starting position uh, behind the scenes to actually getting that first job on air, full-time job on air. You have a good example of, so there's this saying as for it's the best abilities availability, right? So for example, if you're a quarterback and you get injured, then it's your time to like take those few starts that the person is injured. And then if you do well, you might end up keeping that job, right? So similar to you, she went away for a week and you had that one opportunity because you were available, right? You weren't on the vacation at the same time as her. And then you were able to take advantage of that opportunity, then leading to a backup role and then eventually a full-time morning show host, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so true. And it can be challenging, you know, in those first jobs, like I was also working another job at the time because I was only part time. So I worked in a clothing store on the side and there were definitely days where I would get phone calls in the morning, like, Hey, this person is sick. Can you come in today? And then I'd have to scramble and find someone to fill in for me, you know, at my other job. So, but yeah, I think making yourself available and, you know, in those early years, I think I made a lot of sacrifices, you know, where I wasn't hanging out with my friends all the time. I worked a lot of early mornings and a lot of weekends and yeah, it can be challenging, but I think for me in that situation, I definitely saw the payoff when I got that full-time job. Yeah. So one of the things that you brought up is like about sacrificing to propel your career, right? A lot of people want to have their cake and eat it too. So what is your advice in terms of like making sacrifices, but not overworking yourself so you feel burnt out? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I think I have a very different perspective on that now. I think at the time when I was starting out, I felt like I would do whatever it took. You know, if I was only sleeping for like three or four hours a night, it was fine. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And I do think that 
paid off for me at that time. And I don't necessarily regret that. But I think that now I try to have better boundaries just because I have certainly experienced burnout now. Um, and I like to try and prevent myself from, from getting there again. So I have my full-time job. And then I also have, you know, like kind of a, a little side hustle where I, I have a podcast and I do some keynote speaking and some keynote coaching as well. So what I've really had to do outside of my nine to five is just say no to things that aren't aligned with what I'm trying to do. So I think for me, keeping my eye on my goals and then every time an opportunity comes along, asking myself, like, how does this contribute to what I'm actually trying to do? Because sometimes things sound great or sound like they're going to be fun. You know, for example, for a little while, I was doing some influencer stuff on Instagram and, you know, people would send me their products and then I would talk about them. And I just felt like, it didn't feel right to me. And once I really had some clear goals, I realized like this doesn't align with what I'm trying to do. So I just need to say no to those things, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those things. But for me, it just didn't match up with my goals. So it, it didn't make sense for me to keep putting the time and effort into them that I was when I could free up that time to do something that was more connected to my future vision. So speaking of future vision, you had that morning show host gig for six years, right? What made you decide to move on and do something else at that point? Yeah, I would say there were a few factors. Probably the biggest was that I was experiencing a lot of racism and discrimination in the newsrooms that I worked in. It was really taking a toll on my mental health. And I think that was the biggest reason for me. And then after that, as I started to think about my future, you know, Journalism is very much changing and there were endless opportunities at different stations to host different shows. And it's really becoming a shrinking industry. It's hard to find stability in full-time jobs. So I think this combination of factors really led me to start thinking about what I wanted. And the hardest part for me was I always liked the work. But I felt like these other things, like I wasn't feeling valued, I wasn't feeling supported, I didn't see the financial growth that I wanted to see for my future. And the career opportunities, I felt like they weren't there either. So those are some of the reasons that I started to think about doing something else. Okay, so going back to that point that you made about like not feeling respected, one of the things, especially with immigrants, is that they believe that hard work leads to the results, right? But we've both know that it's not just the hard work, though there are other things involved, right? So how did you know that you had a glass ceiling, so to speak, at that point in your career? Yeah, so I know I mentioned I worked in a smaller city at the beginning, and that city, there wasn't a lot of diversity there. I was the only person of color on TV for most of my time at that station. There was one other person I worked with behind the scenes who was a person of color. But I felt like when I would, you know, raise issues about, for example, if there was a story where we were mentioning someone's race when it wasn't relevant to the story, and I would question it or just ask, you know, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And I would just be met with, oh, you're being too sensitive about race. Like you're so sensitive about these topics. I really felt like I didn't have support there when I would bring up some of these situations. So 
I started to question my future at that point, but then I got a job in Toronto, which is a much bigger, much more diverse city. And I think I thought things would be different because I knew there would be a more diverse group of people that I would be working with. So I felt like there would be more support. And I think what happened when I arrived at this bigger station is I realized not much was different. The management was still the same. There was still a lot of sexism and discrimination, racism, and a lot of it was kind of coming from the top down. So I think that made me really start to see that no matter how hard I worked, those things were always going to be there and be impacting my experience and how it was treated. Taking a step back, you said you moved from Halifax to Toronto, right? So what made you make that drastic change by moving provinces and cities? Yeah. So I was working on a small local show in Halifax and I actually got an incredible opportunity to come fill in for a year on the national morning show for CTV, which is the network I worked for. So it was a huge career opportunity. You know, I'd been on TV for about five years at that point. So to get a national opportunity was pretty incredible. So the network actually moved me to Toronto and I got this really big sort of one year opportunity and promotion. Nice. Okay. So when you realized that you were stuck in where you were, how did you make that plan to get out of that field and find your next move, which would be in tech? So I started to think about what is missing from my role right now that I need. And the things that came up were, you know, I wanted a healthier work environment. I wanted to feel valued. I wanted to feel supported. And I wanted to join an industry that was growing. So I knew that I could have longevity there. So once I figured that out, I just started reaching out to people in my network. I reached out to a lot of former journalists to see what they were up to. One of the most natural transitions for journalists is to go into PR and communications. So I talked to a lot of people in PR and communications. And I think what I realized there was it wasn't really something I was passionate about. But then I met this woman who had gone from journalism to tech, and she was a solutions consultant at a company called Hootsuite. And I was like, what is the solutions consultant? I've literally never heard of this job title. And so she told me, and basically what a solutions consultant does is they work with the sales team as they're pitching a product to a client, but they're the people who create the vision of what this product will do for the client. So when she started explaining this to me, I realized, wow, it's a lot of the skills you use in journalism. Like you're pitching, you know, as a journalist, I was pitching stories all the time. You're presenting in front of clients instead of on TV and you're storytelling. You're really, as you're painting this vision, you're telling the customer or the prospect a story about this product and what it's going to do for them. That's how you really bring it to life. So once I saw how transferable those skills were and what an exciting industry tech was, I feel like it had all of the things I was looking for, a progressive work environment, you know, a good, lots of career growth and opportunity there. And the friend that I talked to said, you know, it's like a much better, I feel valued and supported and they're much more focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion than kind of the traditional media world. So that was really how I made my decision. Yeah. And you made a good point about finding someone that has made that career change themselves. So you said that this person wasn't journalism, right? And then she was able to move into tech. So in a way, she already paved the roadmap for you. You just had to follow it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I felt so grateful to her. And I feel like as I'm thinking back on that time, I 
tried so many different things. Like it certainly wasn't just like, oh, I met this one person and then, you know, I got this job. I talked to dozens of people. I applied for dozens of jobs. I mean, this one felt like the right fit, but I think so many things need to fall into place. You know, it's like, you need the right fit. You need someone who's willing to take a chance on someone with a different background, which this company had already done with her. So they were a little more comfortable doing. And then timing, like you need to apply when there's that right opening. So I I do think that often means casting a wide net. And I did talk to people at other tech companies. I applied for other tech jobs along the way. So as much as this was what worked out, I think there were a lot of other options that I explored along the way too. So walk us through like your action plan in terms of making that career transition. Like how long it take you? Uh, What were some of the roadblocks? Yeah, I think one of the biggest roadblocks for me at the beginning was I didn't see the value in my own skills. I just thought, you know, well, I know how to be a TV anchor and host, like who's going to hire me to do something completely different. So I really had to change my own mentality around like, instead of just thinking about my job titles, I had to think about my actual skills. So like, what can I do that is valuable? And what I realized after, and I guess during the process was how valuable my skills of presenting of as a television host, I had to talk to so many different people from all walks of life. Sometimes I was talking to them on the worst day of their lives. Sometimes it was the best day of their lives. So I really became versatile and adaptable when it came to how I was communicating my body language, my tone, you know, being really intuitive about how someone else was feeling. A lot of people are uncomfortable on camera. So I was very, became very good at making people feel comfortable with me. All of those soft skills I realized were so valuable in the corporate world. So I had to start, you know, change what I was saying on my LinkedIn page and what I was saying in my cover letters, because I couldn't say I had a technical background. I knew everything about software and product. So instead, I really had to sell those skills of being personable, of being comfortable in front of large audiences, being comfortable speaking to executives. And I think the other thing that I realized the value of was storytelling, which is so valuable in so many different roles. So once I kind of nailed down some of those things, I feel like once I got a few people to introduce me to people in their networks, then I knew how to pitch myself confidently (laughs) and to say, Hey, yeah, I know, you know, I don't come from a traditional background that you were hired from, but here are the things that I can do. And, you know, you can teach And this is actually the company that hired me, Hootsuite. They told me after, we can teach anyone the product and the technical side of things, but we can't teach people how to be comfortable in front of a room, how to be comfortable presenting, you know, how to stay calm under pressure. Those are things that if you have those, like we can teach you the other side. It's a lot easier to teach that than it is to teach the things that you have. So they really validated the value of those skills too. Yeah, you made a good point. Big misconception when it comes to making career change is that a lot of professionals focus a lot on trying to learn and acquire the technical skills, but it's the soft skills that really matter. For example, like as you say, like collaborating with various people, various stakeholders, being comfortable in the room, knowing how to be adaptable, like a lot of these soft skills, those are harder to teach fairly quickly compared to the technical skills as Hoots we had mentioned. So yeah, so I, I think like you made a great point in terms of like, really focus on the soft and transferable skills because a company that knows what they're doing will know that teaching the technical is as difficult as trying to teach someone soft skills. 
Absolutely. Yes. So once I got an interview at Hootsuite, the first couple of interviews were pretty standard, you know, questions and everything. But then the last interview, I had to do a presentation. And as a journalist, I had never, oh, well, not since university, had to put together like a PowerPoint. So I didn't know like how to make slides and how to share my screen on a video call. So that I had to learn in that process. I mean, and that's not hard, you know, you can figure it out. But to me at the time, that was way scarier to me than like, what am I going to say in this presentation? <laughs> so I think that, and probably like most people would say the exact opposite, right? Like, oh yeah, I've been sharing a screen since like day one at whatever job you had. I know how to put together a slide presentation, but I'm nervous about what I'm going to say. But to me, like I put together this, I had to present like an imaginary customer story and I loved it because it was like telling a news story to me. So I like created this customer, I created this whole story around it. And then I was like, how do I use Google Slides and how do I use Google Meet and share my screen? <laughs> that took me a lot longer to get comfortable with. That was what I was most nervous about. Okay, so just a summarize of it. So you network with people in the industry so you know what they're looking for in a candidate. And then I'm assuming you applied online and then Hootsuite reached out to you and then you went through that interview process, right? Yes, yeah. And I did get a referral from my friend who worked there. Okay. So that also helped. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a career coach, right? And I always tell people if you're looking to make career change, it's way easier if you network and know someone that can get you in the door. Building the relationships, right? Absolutely. Okay, so... You started in Hootsuite. This is the first time you're in this field. What were some of the uh, trials and tribulations that you had to experience going from spending multiple years in journalism and broadcasting into a completely different role and environment? Yeah. So the environment change was so drastic for me. I was used to being in a really fast paced newsroom where, you know, things are happening Everyone needs everything done 10 minutes ago. There's like a lot of heated discussion. I would say you don't really like if someone comes over, they're like, hey, how are you? Can you do this? I need it done like now. And so it's, I would say like not a super healthy, <laughs> a lot of newsrooms are not the greatest or, you know, most chill places to work at all. So my first day at Hootsuite, I just remember walking to the office, everyone's talking, laughing, like casually kind of catching up. And it was like another world to me. I like, I still remember someone came over. It was like day three, came over and was like, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so nice to meet you. How are you doing? And I was like, good. And they were like, how's onboarding? It just in my head was like, oh, this person actually wants to hear how I'm doing and talk to me. They didn't come over here to tell me like, I need you to do this like right now. And, you know, so I really had to just change the way I communicated with people. And like, I felt like I had to learn again, how to really focus a little more on like these interpersonal relationships with my colleagues that weren't just, you know, transfer of information. And I mean, it was really positive for me, but I just remember it like the change in environment being such a shock, but that was a good shock. The steeper learning curve for me was definitely on learning the technical skills associated with the position. Like, I didn't really know anything about software. I certainly didn't know much about this product aside from the basics. And even the terminology in tech was so different than what I was used to. So I found like the first little while I at the end of the day would have a list of like acronyms and terms that I would just like have to Google and search or ask someone about. So that was what I felt the most intimidated about. 
What's your uh, piece of advice in regards to someone going into a new environment and they feel like they're behind because I should be learning this a lot quicker. I'm not getting it. I feel I'm not contributing to the team as much as they wanted me to when I first started. How do you fight all those feelings and just assure yourself that it does take time to learn and just stay the course? Yeah, I found that really being vulnerable with the people around me, as hard as it was sometimes, it was so helpful because on the times when I didn't ask for help, that's when it took me so much longer to figure something out. And then other people didn't know I needed help, you know, so they couldn't help me. As soon as I realized, like, I just need to tell, like, the person who's training me or, you know, my manager, like, hey, I'm having a hard time with this or I'm not quite grasping this concept. They were like, oh, I'm so glad you said something. Like, let me explain this in a different way or let me show you a different way of doing this. So I think the worst thing you can do is not say anything. I mean, there were definitely times when I felt like I'm just going to figure this out on my own. And I think you should try on your own first, always, of course, you know. But I think in those moments when you're stuck, not being afraid to tell someone to ask for help, I think that's really crucial. Yeah, I made a good point. A lot of people think that asking for help is a sign of weakness. Uh, yes. But I heard that good leaders ask for help. They shouldn't be the smartest in the room because they need to leverage their subject matter experts to provide guidance to get things done and move the company forward. A hundred percent. I totally agree with that. All right. You're not Hootsuite anymore, if I, um, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I work at Slack now, actually. Okay, so I'm assuming the next move to the next tech company, it was not as difficult as transitioning from journalism to tech, right? Yeah, you're right. I think the hardest part was the product because as much as Hootsuite was a bit of a mountain for me at first, once I got to know the product, it was pretty straightforward. Like there were, you know, there were some complexities, but like after six months, I felt very confident and comfortable talking about the product. Slack is a communication software. There are so many more capabilities. It's a much more technical and complex product. So I had kind of the solutions consultant skills down from Hootsuite, which is great. And the tech lingo, perfect. But learning the product at Slack, I felt like took a lot longer. And still, I've been there for a year and a half. And I still feel like every day I learn something new about the product itself. So that was kind of this deeper learning curve in that transition. Okay, so besides the product knowledge adoption that you needed to do, what were some other differences between the role you had in Hootsuite and the role you have now? And how long did it take for you to acquire those skills so you can be successful in your current company? Mm -hmm. It took about a good six months to really feel good in my role. So yeah, I would say it, it took about six months. I think the biggest difference was on the technical side. I have to know a lot more about security and compliance at Slack than I did at Hootsuite. And the audience is different. So at Hootsuite, I spoke a lot to marketing teams because it was a social media management software. And now I speak a lot more to engineering and IT teams. I still speak sometimes to marketing and HR and a lot of sales teams as well. But the predominant group of people is IT and engineering. So I have to be a lot more technical and know a lot more about like the product functionality on the technical side. So lots of terminology to learn there as well. And they just care about different things. Like the outcome is so much different with Slack than it was with Hootsuite. Yeah. So it goes back to, yes, you're in the same industry, so to speak, in tech, but you really have to know the audience and product. And then that's where the uh, differentiator is, right? Absolutely. And a lot of the skills I learned in journalism really transferred well because 
as a journalist, you have to know your audience so well too. So every day, you know, as you're pitching stories, you're thinking about, okay, you know, I'm pitching a story for this audience in this city. Like what do they care about pertaining to this topic? So I think that having that audience focus in journalism really transferred well to what I do now, because as I'm coming up with presentations and vision demonstrations, I always have to keep the audience top of mind and make sure that, you know, I'm not just showing them what I think is interesting or cool. I have to think about what is relevant to them and what their priorities are and tailor everything to that. So for anyone listening right now and they come from a non-technical background and they're trying to get into tech because I know tech is still one of the uh, hottest industries that everybody wants to get into. What is some advice that you can provide in terms of finding transferable skills that they have that would be relevant and in demand for tech companies like the ones that you have worked for and are working with? I think the first thing I would say is learn about the different roles that are out there because I think... Like, I didn't know what so many of these roles were, like a solutions consultant, a customer success manager. I mean, I had never heard these terms before in the industry I was in before. So learning as much as you can about those jobs. And, you know, it's great if you can learn from someone who does the job, if you can reach out to people or you have people in your network or you can get a warm introduction from someone. But I think there's also a lot of information you can just search in Google. Or if you like are looking at job postings, for example, and you see something that you're like, the skills sound good, but I'm not quite sure like what this actual job does, you know, try searching that way. And I also try not to be too narrow in your focus. I think, especially at first, like cast a wider net and look at skills required and experience required instead of just the job description and requirements. Great. So I want to talk about your podcast. I'm a big fan of side hustles. So how did you get into starting your podcast? Is it because you missed the journalism broadcasting career that you had and you tried to relive that, so to speak, uh, just to reignite a passion? Or tell me how you got that started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head, to be honest. So it was 2020. I guess it would have been the fall of 2020. So just six months into the pandemic or so. I was loving my job at Hootsuite, but I was missing, you know, some of the pieces of journalism that I did enjoy. And I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I decided, like, I wasn't even thinking about it being a business. I just felt like this is something I'm passionate about. My podcast is called Turning Point. And the reason for that is because I had spent a lot of time reflecting on my own life turning points. And I started to realize, you know, this is something that connects all of us. Everyone has turning points in their lives that have kind of changed the course of their lives and um, their paths. So I started the podcast that way, just kind of casually doing it from my living room. And then it really just started to grow. So many people connected with it. I started getting some sponsors. So I just kind of kept growing and kept going with it. And then it really led me to down this path of like, what am I loving about this? The thing I love the most is helping other people tell their stories. So now what I do, I have my podcast, but I also help keynote speakers who are working on sharing their stories. I help them develop keynotes. Some people I work with, I'm just helping them kind of refine an existing keynote. And then I also do some speaking and I encourage other leaders to, as they're sharing their stories, to share the whole story. So many times we really get focused on just sharing the successes and it is important to share success, but it's also equally important to share challenges because I think that's just real life. And if you're a person who's going through something challenging and you just hear a story about all of these successes someone has experienced, 
you feel like, how do you connect to that when you're going through something hard? But if you hear, well, these were like the low points, but I got out of it, you know, or this is what I did to get to the next high point. That is what I think is inspiring in a realistic way. And I think it fosters stronger and more authentic connections. So that's kind of like the path that I I took. It just started off from this passion project and really evolved. Nice. I really enjoyed our time discussing your career and your experiences making drastic career changes, going from like non-technical to a very technical role in tech. So I end off my episode by asking my guests this question. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges and invite experts like yourself to provide guidance on that. So what has been one big roadblock in your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? So many things come to mind. I think that seeing the value in my own skills was probably the biggest roadblock. And what I realize now is the people who helped me were the people who knew me best. So in, I started to ask people, you know, a lot of times we want to ask questions like, what is your job? What do you do day to day? But I also started asking people like, what do you think about my experience would be relevant to your role? You know, and I found that other people really helped me to identify those skills I had that would be valuable. Sometimes it's hard for us to look at ourselves and our own experiences objectively. So I think really tap into the people around you in your professional network and, and also personally, like your family and friends too, they know you best. So if you're trying to, you know, make a pivot and you're not sure what it is, ask the people around you what they think you have to offer and what they think your most valuable skills are. I think that can be really helpful. That's awesome. Again, appreciate the time. So how can people uh, reach out to you? You already brought the name of your podcast, Turning Point. But yeah, just talk about like how people can find you and reach out to you if they want to learn more about how you transitioned into tech or if they want to come on the podcast. Yeah, just provide the information to uh, reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is priasam.com. You can also find me. I'm pretty active um, and I share a lot about my story on Instagram as well. I'm just at priasam. And yeah, that's also my handle on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well. So so just at priasam everywhere, basically. Sounds good. Again, I appreciate the time and uh, have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Oh,